Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. So this has been very close on my heart lately, uh, and so I thought it would be great to share with everybody kind of uh, what I've been uh, studying through and thinking about, but in preparing this message, I realized I took on a massive undertaking, and it was probably not very wise, but here we go. So we're going to talk about forgiveness, like all of it, Uh, and... We're not going to get through all of it because uh, one, of, one of the beautiful things uh, as I was studying this that someone had to say about scripture is that it's like a wading pool that a child can get into, but also it is so deep that you could drown an elephant in it. Same idea with this topic. So we're just going to scratch the surface so and get this kind of 30,000 foot overview of the idea of forgiveness, what kinds of forgiveness there are, how it fits into scripture, and then how we can apply it. So uh, our two scripture readings this morning uh, were tied to this idea of forgiveness. We had the first one in the Old Testament where David uh, calls before him a member of Jonathan's house and then restores to him his lands. And historically, we have to understand why that was so important because back in that day, when you were trying to consolidate power, particularly if you came into power because someone else disliked you and you were displacing them, typically uh, kings would go in and they would wipe out the entire family of the opposing person because they didn't want to run the risk that that person would try to undermine them. So for David to seek this guy out, he went to David thinking, I'm a dead man, right? He's going to kill me and he's going to find everyone else in my family and kill me. But instead, David shows him forgiveness and restores to him all these lands. And in the ancient world, that was completely unprecedented. So that's a beautiful Old Testament example of it. And then Christ, in his story about the shepherd, obviously we are the sheep, right? Of the, of the 99 that stayed with him, the one that is lost, he seeks him out. That's us. So, and he says there is much rejoicing over that one who went out and brought him back. So within scripture, those are two quick examples. And then I want to share with you uh, one quick story that's a contemporary example. Uh, her story is not as popular as it used to be, but there's a, a woman named Cory Ten Boom who helped to hide Jews during World War II, but was caught doing it and was uh, forced into a concentration camp. And so this is the first part of her story following the war in 1948, giving a message in a church. She says, it was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there and could not. Her sister Betsy had died in that place. Could this man now erase her slow, terrible death simply in asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. That's as far as I'll go with that story. We'll come back to it, but that gives you an idea of this idea of forgiveness, what we have to do in trying to give it to others. So, I got it. We're going to make it through. Here's our roadmap. So going through this, uh, you can see we're going to start with what is forgiveness, then we're going to go through the types of forgiveness, then we're going to get into a hairy area, forgiveness versus reconciliation, 
Uh, when we get into that section, I'm going to preface that by saying it's complicated. So I'm gonna give you the best understanding of it that I've got, but uh, I would encourage you to dive into that more and read more about it because it is a hard thing to figure out the niceties of that, but we'll get to that when we get to it. We'll go through some practical ways of dealing with forgiveness in your life, and then I'll offer some encouragement at the end. So here we go. Our uh, primary verse that we're going to look at today is going to be Luke 15.10, and we're gonna be all over the place, but this comes right after that passage that uh, we read uh, for scripture reading where Christ talks about going after the sheep. We, we ended in verse seven, but if you went just a little bit lower into verse 10, Jesus says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And that's just to help us set the stage that this, is, this idea of forgiveness is so great that the angels who have no sin themselves rejoice when someone is freed from it through the act of forgiveness. So, Bow your heads with me. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you would give me strength to deliver this message. I am insufficient to uh, just contain everything that is here. I pray that you would uh, give me wise words, help me to uh, put forth that which is true, help anything that is false or misleading to fall away. And uh, for those who are listening, just give them open hearts and a desire to hear, to understand, and to take this message and to apply it in their own lives, because... Forgiveness is just an incredible thing, and I pray that you would uh, help others to uh, be as affected by it as I have been as I studied, and just allow this, uh, allow this word to sink deeply into them. I pray this on your name. Amen. So, obviously, forgiveness is at the very core of the idea of Christianity. It is the thing that we rely upon when we go to stand before God. We have confidence in our forgiveness, and because we have that confidence, we feel that we can go before someone so holy and speak to him directly. We can pray to him without fear. So we're gonna deal with first, what is forgiveness? So in a very basic sense, forgiveness is the canceling of a debt or obligation. So how many of us have any kind of financial debt? Just quick show of hands. Pretty much everybody. There's, there's a few who probably don't, but uh, it's rare, right? So, and those debts are probably pretty significant, right? If you've got a house especially, uh, you've got a lot of debt that hangs over you. Now, if someone were to come in who you have no idea who they were, say, I don't know, uh, Joel were to visit you at your house and say, I'm going to completely pay off all your debts. Your house is gonna get paid off, your student loans are gonna be repaid, your credit cards will be paid off, all of it. Uh, and ask nothing in return, just cancel it all. What kind of relief would that give you in your life, being able to not have to worry about that anymore? And how awesome would you think Joel is? And how much would you give her thanks every time you saw her? Now, how often do we feel that way when we consider the forgiveness that God has given us for our sins? A so much greater burden. How often do we stop in the middle of our day and say, wow, God, you are amazing for having done that thing for me. Probably not very often. We get so accustomed to it, this idea that we've been forgiven, that we kind of forget what it would be. So understanding that idea of forgiveness as a canceling of debt and knowing what it would mean if it was done with something just of this world, minuscule like money. Think about that now in the context of sin greater. So we're gonna go through the four different ideas of forgiveness and kind of pull this apart a little bit more to get just beyond the definition and what it means in terms of the biblical idea. So I tried to fit them all into C's because Nicole told me it would be easier for us to remember. So some of them are a little awkward, but work with me here. First one, C, compensated. So uh, the price has been paid. Right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The price has already been paid. The compensation has already been offered. So when you think about forgiveness and you think about how amazing it is, consider the price that was offered on your behalf and consider that it is so full that it has covered it completely. It has been paid. It has been compensated for. Next, it requires confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1.19. God will forgive our sins, but he will forgive our sins if we confess them, if we own up to them, if we acknowledge that we are under their weight and we need someone else to come in and pay the price for us. If we do that, God is faithful and just and he will cleanse us from those things. So we've been, the price has been paid, it's been compensated for. We need to confess in order to have that compensation applied to our account. 
It's complete. I love this verse, Isaiah 1:18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. What I love about this verse is it, it shows how patient God is with us, right? So God, the guy who created the universe, who understands everything, who is beyond time and is everywhere and all-powerful, says, come now, you, right, little person, let's talk and let's reason, right? How amazing that God, who is so far beyond us, would condescend to that level to say, sit down and let's talk. He understands that we have reason, that he has given it to us, we are made in his image, and we can think, and he says, consider where you're at, right? Your sins are like scarlet. They're red like crimson, right? Your shirt is so red, even if you tried to wash it yourself, you'd just get all the rest of the laundry pink. There's just no way to get rid of it. It is it's so bad. And yet God says, even though it's like that, I will make your garments white as snow. So he's, he is appealing to our ability to think logically, right? You can't take care of this yourself. It is beyond you. So instead, I am willing to give you that in place. So consider your choice carefully, right? I will give you complete forgiveness if you will just rest upon me. So it's been compensated for, it's already been paid. If we confess, he's faithful to forgive. It's a complete forgiveness. There's no portion left over. You don't have to pay interest. It is completely forgiven. And last, command. It's commanded that we do it, that having received it ourselves, we give it to others. So, we're following God's example, but we're doing it by following his commandments. So remember the C, command. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Right? That's not a suggestion. God is saying these are things you need to do. You need to be kind to one another. You need to be tender, and you need to forgive one another. And why? Because God in Christ forgave you. Right? As he did to you, so you need to do to others. So there's four biblical aspects of forgiveness that we need to consider. That it's already been paid for, in review, ha <laughs> First, that it's been compensated, right? It's already been paid for. Second, that we need to confess in order to have access to it. Third, that when we do, it is complete, all is covered. And lastly, that it's command, that having received it ourselves, we then need to extend it to others. So those four C's, try to hold on to those as best you can as we're thinking through this. So we've kind of grabbed this idea of what is forgiveness, so now we're gonna move along the line and we're gonna go to types of forgiveness. So there's vertical forgiveness and horizontal forgiveness. And this is kind of, uh, this helps us understand the different ways that we relate vertically versus horizontally. So vertical forgiveness, as we would think, right? Vertical, we, we kind of think of God as being up above us, right? So vertical forgiveness is God to man. And that's a unique and specific way that forgiveness is given. And it's always given only in one direction, right? We can't forgive God, he's perfect. So God only forgives us. It only comes down vertically to us. And that is a thing that is of first importance because it's the relationship between God and you, right? If your relationship between you and God has not been figured out in some way, then your relationship between you and others horizontally is going to be really difficult. You're going to have a tough time figuring that stuff out until you figure out your relationship with God first. So this vertical forgiveness is of first importance. We need to think through this bef vertically before we think through the others horizontally. Right? And God's not, uh, in thinking through vertical forgiveness, we need to remember that uh, distinction between justification and sanctification. Uh, I, I ran this past Nicole, and she gave me some really good feedback, so I'm going to every now and then go like, oh, that's right, Nicole told me I should talk about this here to help to clarify. So in the vertical forgiveness stuff, one thing that uh, we want to be mindful of is we've been justified once we've, so if we've done our confession, it's been compensated for the uh, salvation is complete. We have been justified before God, and now we have been declared righteous in that moment. But at the same time, in order to keep that relationship between God and us going well, we need to be continually confessing our sin. Not because God is trying to nitpick at us and he's trying to find ways in which to say like, oh, you know, you, you said that harsh thing to your brother the other day, and you forgot to confess it to me, so sorry, man. Like, you, you're out of luck. You didn't confess that thing. That's, that's not what this is about. It's about maintaining our relationship to God and a correct heart attitude toward him and toward our fellows. So this vertical forgiveness relationship is constantly ongoing and we are constantly maintaining it 
First and foremost, it gets done through a justified declaration of faith. Once we do that, we become Christians. But then we need to maintain it and continually practice this vertical forgiveness by asking God for forgiveness so that we can maintain a heart that is humble and that is constantly examining itself and looking for ways in which to improve and become more Christ-like. And that's that process of sanctification. So those are our kind of vertical forgiveness ideas. And here we have uh, David in Psalm 25 crying out to God. And it's just this wonderful kind of example of someone who has a heart for God and how he thinks through his sin and looks for salvation. So reading that passage, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimony. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And we all know the story of David, right? This is written right uh, after he uh, had uh, an affair with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband, right? I mean, you think about, like, the list of sins that you can possibly do in life, you know, cheating on uh, or, you know, taking someone else's wife and then murdering the guy that you took his wife. Like, it's pretty awful as far as sins go. Like, David was up there on guys that did terrible things. And yet, he knew when he was confronted with his sin that what he had done was terrible. And he went before the Lord and declared his filthiness and his unrighteousness and cast himself upon God's mercy. So let's like look at this really quick as just a, a template for how to maintain this vertical forgiveness that we are looking for. First thing David does is he asks God to keep no record. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. The first thing he is asking God to do is, please God, don't take into account the terrible things I've done. And the reason he asks that is because he knows if God looks at what David has done and remembers those things, there's just no way that he's ever gonna pass muster. Like it is impossible given his history and given what he knows about himself that he will be able to stand in the presence of God having done what he's done. And so he cries out to God, God, remember not the sins of my youth. Don't keep a record of the terrible things I've done because we both know it's awful. Next, he gives God glory and he uh, ascribes rightly to God's character those things which he know will be the only way that he can find salvation. Remember not the sins of my youth or transgressions, but according to your steadfast love, remember me. Not for my sake, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. David doesn't rely on himself. He doesn't make an appeal to some kind of outside authority. He looks to God and God only and says, you are good. Please, because you are good, remember not my transgressions. Next, we need to remember that God does it, not us. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. This is a work of God, not of man. This isn't something that we can offer. It's only something that God offers. So David asked God not to remember. He casts himself upon God's character. And then he acknowledges that God's the one who does it, not us. And finally, David says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimony. David again circles back and says, God, this is you, not me. For your name's sake, pardon my guilt, for it is great. David provides this fantastic example to us of how we can go before God, feeling the weight of our sin, and then find in him, because of who he is, the forgiveness of our sins. And so that helps us, it gives us a great little example of someone who found a way to go before God and seek that vertical forgiveness. Next, we've got the horizontal forgiveness. So vertical, we're figuring out that relationship between us and God. Horizontal is now a relationship between each other on the ground, horizontal. So this is of importance as well, it's of equal importance. We need to figure out this horizontal forgiveness and the way we do the vertical as well, but we need to figure out the vertical first because the way that we do horizontal forgiveness is in light of who God is and how he has forgiven us. So this is gonna be our relationship between us and others. Looking now at Luke 17, verses three through four. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. 
So this is a quick little step-by-step -step that God gives us that helps us figure out how we work through this horizontal forgiveness aspect. So in this verse, first and foremost, he says, pay attention to yourselves, right? First thing you need to do is examine yourself. Where are you at, right? Do you have a log in your eye and you're going to point out a speck in your brothers? If so, deal with that first. So first he tells us, consider yourself. If you have considered yourself, then once you've done that, if your brother sins, rebuke him, right? So it's great step-by-step. -step. If he sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Fantastic. Horizontal forgiveness has been accomplished. We're doing great. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times a day saying repent, you must forgive him. That's the hard part of the verse, right? It's like seven times in the same day. And I, I love the fact that uh, Christ gives this as an example and says seven times in one day. Because man, would that be frustrating, right? Imagine being at work and there's someone doing something really obnoxious and they, they're willing to acknowledge that it's bad and they say, I I'm so sorry, you know. Will you forgive me for doing that thing? And you say, yeah. And then two hours later, they do it again. And then they come back, oh, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? Okay. And two hours later, they do it again. Right by the third time, you're going like, what's going on, man? Like, are you really repenting of this? Right? You'd be, you'd be wondering, but God doesn't give us this option of wondering. Right? He just says, you must forgive him. It's hard, but it's a good saying. Right? If someone is repentant, we need to be forgiving of them. And so that's how we maintain this horizontal forgiveness aspect. So we talked about what forgiveness was, the types of forgiveness. We have the vertical forgiveness between us and God, the horizontal forgiveness between us and others. So now we get into the hairy part, which is the forgiveness versus reconciliation. Because I could see in some of your faces, we were talking about that horizontal forgiveness. And it's like, ah, seven times in a day, right? How do I, how do I work through that? Because if someone keeps hurting me, at what point is it okay for me to stop this relationship that is hurting me? And that's where we get into this forgiveness versus reconciliation. So, forgiveness is commanded. It's something we have to do. Reconciliation, on the other hand, is preferred. It's something that we strive for, but it's not something that we can always get. So, let's tease those apart a little bit and understand the difference between the two so that when we encounter really difficult situations in real life, as we do, we're gonna be able to approach them biblically and make sure that we keep our hearts right before the Lord. So Romans 12, 18 tells us, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now that middle part is what's most important for our consideration right now is the so far as it depends on you. Because there are going to be some people that have no interest in living peaceably with you. Right? There are going to be some who just, doesn't matter how hard you try, doesn't matter how much love you pour out on them, they just are not interested in living peaceably with you. They, they want to have conflict with you. And you can forgive them, but you may or may not be able to find reconciliation with them. So let's look at that a little bit. So we've got the forgiveness side, which is always, right? We always need to seek forgiveness from God, no matter what. And we always need to extend forgiveness to others. But only sometimes, the reconciliation portion, can we find that restoration of the relationship when we do forgiveness. So let's look a little bit at the always again. So from the God side, Psalm 51, 1 through 4, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Again, another psalm that was offered after this terrible sin he had done. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now that's a pretty rough passage of scripture when you encounter it. I remember the first time that I read that and I had to really sit with it for a while because you have to consider what the context of the, what this is, right? This is after David had stolen another man's wife and then murdered him to try to cover it up. And yet he says, against you and you only have I sinned, right? He's sinned against other people. And yet David is so affected by the sin that he has committed against God that he tells him, you are the primary person who has been sinned against. And we need to consider that when we're reading this, because this is obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God talking to us. And he's saying, when you commit sin, 
the primary person you commit sin against is not the person that you've done it against or against yourself if it's a private sin. It's against God. God has a holy law, and you have violated that holy law and done sin against God. So the reason we always have to seek that vertical relationship, we always have to seek forgiveness before God, is because no matter what the sin is that we do, whether it involves others or it's just our own, it is always against God and primarily against God. So that portion is always. Now, extending forgiveness out to others, that portion is also always. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. That's another hard passage of scripture, right? It seems like God's being conditional with us. If you don't do this, I'm gonna withhold my forgiveness. Now we have to remember this comes right after Christ taught his apostles the Lord's Prayer. So right after he was teaching them, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, Christ is telling them, this needs to be your attitude, right? He's not making a condition on them saying, you need to do this first and then God will forgive you. He's saying, if you understand what God has done for you, if you understand the weight of your sin and how incredible it is that God has forgiven you, you'll be able to forgive others. If you are characterized by a heart that does not forgive others their trespasses, then you are demonstrating that you, in fact, do not understand what God has done for you and you have not sought his mercy. So... This is heavy, right? God is, God is telling us this is how important it is that you extend forgiveness to others, no matter how many times they ask for it and no matter how many times they forgive against you. You need to have a heart that desires to forgive others because if you don't, you are demonstrating that you don't have God's forgiveness in your own life. Rough, but man, necessary because this betrays more than anything else, I would say, in a Christian's life what your attitude is toward God's salvation toward you. If you have a hard time forgiving others, that means that you don't understand what God has done for you. So those were our two situations where we always need to find forgiveness between us and God and what we extend out to others. The second portion is what we hope comes with forgiveness, which is reconciliation, a restoration of our relationship with someone else. This only happens sometimes because it requires two people. Looking at the famous Puritan Thomas Watson, he says, we are not bound to trust an enemy, but we are bound to forgive him. Right? If someone does something terrible to you, you are required to forgive them. You are not required to put yourself in a situation where they can do that to you again. Right? That's the reconciliation portion of this, trying to restore the relationship to get it back to where it was before. Similarly, Tom Askell says it only takes one person to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile. And the reason for this is because the person that you're trying to forgive has to want forgiveness. They have to come to you with confession, saying, I have sinned against you. I want to confess that, and I want to restore this relationship. If someone does something terrible to you and has no interest in seeking forgiveness, you can forgive them in your heart. You can extend that forgiveness to them, but if they don't want it from you, you cannot repair that relationship. And so that's a very difficult place to be in. Uh, really good examples of that would be in Middle Eastern countries where people are martyred. It is not uncommon for someone to extend forgiveness to a person who has killed someone in their family and for that person to refuse it. Because in their mind, they have not done something wrong. They don't think they've sinned. And so there can be no restoration of that relationship even though one side is extending forgiveness. So looking now at scripture, Going back to our Luke passage, chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, we have to be careful that we look at those if statements. They're conditional. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. If he repents. If someone repents, you have to forgive them. But if they don't repent, you're gonna have a rough time trying to restore that relationship. You can, from your side, still extend that forgiveness to them with your own heart attitude. Looking back at that picture, we've got an arrow that only goes out, right? You can still extend that to them, but until they repent themselves and want to restore that relationship, you're not gonna get an arrow coming back and you're not gonna find that restoration of the relationship. Now, I wanna make sure I kind of couch this a little bit this whole forgiveness versus reconciliation thing is really kind of a thorny issue. If you, if you do research into this and you uh, read a lot about it, there's a lot of variation within that. And people kind of 
sway back and forth on where that line between forgiveness versus reconciliation lies. Long story short, uh, it's kind of case by case. Like if you are having a tough time struggling with this, if you are wondering if you have failed to reconcile and you're wondering if you have also failed to forgive, bounce it off somebody else, right? Come and talk with one of the elders at the church, talk with a trusted friend, pray through scripture because we want to make sure that we always fulfill the always side of this equation, even if we don't fulfill the reconciliation side. But at the same time, we want to be mindful of the fact that there are difficult situations that may not allow for reconciliation, right? You think of uh, a woman who is in a household where she is being battered and she's trying to get out of that. There is no requirement within scripture that she continually put herself in a situation like that. Yet it is required that she needs to extend forgiveness to that man who's doing terrible things to her. And that's really hard to consider, but it shows how wise God is, that he requires of us that which he has given to us first, but he does not require that we somehow pretend like it's not a problem, that there are no consequences, and that we have to be buddy-buddy with everybody. Right, so that's a very nuanced distinction between the two. I encourage you to struggle through it. If you think I've misspoken here, it's quite possible I have. Come and talk to me, let's talk through it. Uh, but understanding that distinction is very important in understanding how to appropriately apply forgiveness in your life. So, now that we've talked through that kind of distinction between those two, we talked about what forgiveness is, the two types of forgiveness, and teased out a little bit this forgiveness versus reconciliation. Let's talk about the practical side of it, right? How do I actually do this thing? So, when do we need to ask for forgiveness? That's important to know. We need to know ourselves first, right? That first, examine yourselves. We need to know for ourselves, when do we need to ask for forgiveness? So, looking at Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. This is Christ teaching on the mount. It says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift, right? And so this is one of those things where, man, I'll talk about practicality. Like who of us has not been angry with someone at some point in our lives, ever? Like we have all done it, right? Which means that everyone in here is a murderer, right? We are all guilty of that point in the law. And Christ told us, if you're guilty of one point in the law, you're guilty of all of it, right? So this is great because it gets us off our high horse, right? How often when you talk with someone about being good or being bad, they say, well, I never murdered somebody, right? That's like the lowest possible standard that we could set for being a good person is, well, I never killed somebody. Christ doesn't even give us that. He says, sorry guys, if you're angry with someone, you've committed murder in your heart. So we don't even get that. Like we, we all fall under this judgment. And so, in the midst of crushing us with the weight of how heavy our sin is, Christ then says, if you're going to offer a gift at the altar and you remember that you have these sins hanging over you, first go and be reconciled. First go and seek forgiveness and then come back and worship me. So, why that is so important is because God loves to be worshiped in a very specific way. You think of all those passages in the Old Testament, like, I mean, the entire book of Leviticus is just rule after rule after rule of God saying, this is how I want to be worshiped. This is how you need to come before me. This is how you find reconciliation for your sin. All of this because God is very specific about what he needs from us in terms of our worship, right? When, when uh, Aaron's sons offered strange fire, they were consumed because God gave them a specific list of how to do things, and they said, well, I want to do it my way, right? They set themselves up as more important. They created idols in their heart and said, what's most important is how I want to approach God, and God said, no. What's important is how I tell you to approach me, because I am holy, and there are certain ways that you need to come at this. Coming then to the New Testament, Christ says, if you're coming to the altar, if you are coming to worship God, first go and reconcile yourself to your brother. So getting really practical now for us on first Sundays when we have our communion, that is us coming before a figurative altar and remembering the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf for our sins. If uh, Every time uh, Rob does what's called fencing the table, which is where he talks and says, if you're struggling with your sin, come and partake 
and be encouraged by this. But if you have made friends with sin or if you have never confessed your sin, don't eat because you're eating and drinking judgment onto yourself. That ties to this as well. Christ says, if you are coming before me to worship and your brother has something against you, go and make that right first. So when we come to our first Sundays, when we go to have communion, consider before you eat and drink, if your brother has something against you, go and make it right with him first. Ask forgiveness. If possible, find reconciliation. Then come to the altar of the Lord and then worship him the way that he asks. So when do we need to ask forgiveness? Every time we sin which can be really rough. I remember the first time I asked Nicole for forgiveness. It was not something that uh, she had been raised with. So it was like really weird for her, for me to ask that. Uh, it felt very awkward for her. And if you've got any friends who are not saved and you ask forgiveness of them, I, let me tell you, it's gonna be, it's gonna be weird. Because they're, they're not gonna know how to deal with it. Like they, it's just, people don't do this naturally, right? It doesn't come out of a human response to sin. It's only something that comes when we first understand what we've been given and then we want to find that same forgiveness with others. So seek this out and make sure that you are doing it often because we sin often and we need to repair those relationships. That's how we keep our unity. That's how we keep our fellowship. When do we need to forgive others, right? So we've talked about ourselves first. Now let's talk about how we deal with others. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your, will your Father forgive your trespasses. Coming back to that verse again, which says, this is a commandment. You need to do this. How, when do we need to forgive others? Always. And just in case we have a tough time with that, God has put it in scripture over and over again. I'm just gonna give you four instances where he has said this, but Mark 11:25. whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Forgive. Moving on, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Yet again, Mark 11:25. let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's all over the place. These were just four verses that I pulled, but you can find it everywhere. When God is talking about forgiveness, it's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. When do we need to forgive others? All the time. When do we need to seek forgiveness? All the time. So the next practical part, how do we do this forgiveness thing, right? Right? I've said the word all an awful lot, which means that this is going to come up a whole lot. So how do we actually do this? Now, I'm going to rely on our friend Thomas Watson. Again, the Puritan. He's got this fantastic book called uh, A Body of Purity. Uh, body of Purity? A Body of Divinity. Uh, <laughs> Dustin's like, hold on. Uh, what's cool about that book is it's, uh, it works a lot like our New City Catechism that we've been doing, where it's like a question and answer format. So he says, question... When do we forgive others? How do we do this forgiveness thing? And his answer, when we strive against all thoughts of anger or of revenge, when we not do our enemies mischief, but wish them well, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. Now, that is a really dense little paragraph, so we're gonna pick that apart really quick, point by point, but it's this great little seven step how to forgive others and how to examine yourself while doing it. So. How do we do this forgiveness thing? First thing first, you want to resist thoughts of revenge. Romans 12, 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If you feel like you need to get revenge because someone's done something terrible against you, that's not putting your heart in an attitude of forgiveness, right? If you want something bad to happen to someone else because they've done something bad to you, your heart's in the wrong spot. So you need to resist thoughts of revenge and fight against those, right? So no Rambo. They may draw first blood, doesn't matter. You don't get to reply. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tie this to movies as we go. Second, do not seek to do the mischief. First Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, right? No mean girls. If you're, uh, someone does something terrible to you and uh, you feel like, man, that person spread a terrible rumor about me, I wanna spread a terrible rumor about them not forgiveness. 
Examine your heart. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. Even when someone does something bad to you, you cannot do bad against them. Third, wish well to them. Luke 6, 28. Bless those who curse you. This one's really hard, and uh, the perfect example of the exact opposite of this is current political discourse, especially on places like Twitter, right? Someone says something terrible against somebody else, and it's like just mud-slinging back and forth. There is zero holding back. When someone says something bad against you, there is no blessing when others curse you. There is only cursing back and forth. That's not the Christian way. Someone curses you, you turn around and you offer them blessings. That is going to, that is going to peak their ears and make them go, whoa, there is something different about this person in a way that very few things will. Four, grieve at their calamities. Proverbs 24, 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. This one's really hard because it has to deal with just our attitude, right? It's not an action. I, I can resist wanting to get revenge on somebody. I can resist spreading rumors about them in return. I can resist saying bad things back to someone who said bad things to me. This has to do with your heart. Don't rejoice, right? When you see a bad thing happen to a bad person, don't be happy about it. And that's particularly rough because we deal with this really heavy question about how do, why do bad things happen to good people? And then the inverse of that, why do good things happen to bad people? Right? We see people who do terrible things seem to get rewarded. Right? They get money, they get wealth, they get comfort. We wonder, God, why? Where is the justice in that? And God says, hold on, I'm being patient. Right? I'm trying to give as much time as possible for the people on this earth so that as many as possible can seek me out and find forgiveness. So for us on our side, when we see these uh, evil people flourishing, when they fall, that we then have a inverse desire to go like, awesome, finally, like we're seeing justice done here on earth in a way. Don't do that. Delight in God being just, but do not rejoice in someone else having something bad happen to them. Even if they are evil and evil is done to them, don't be happy about it. You want to seek them out and you want to comfort them. You want to show them the love that you were shown. God does not delight in our disobedience. Neither should we delight in someone else's calamities. Number five, pray for them. Matthew 5.44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right here in the U.S., we're starting to get a little bit of, you know, people are starting, we're, we're not, uh, we, cultural Christianity has kind of fallen to the side and we don't have the cachet that we used to have. We used to be really comfortable in this country and it's becoming increasingly unpopular to be Christian. So we're getting a little bit of this, like where we have to pray for those who persecute you, but consider those who are living in places like Syria, who are living in places like Nigeria, where they are daily having to deal with someone killing themselves or their families. God says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is a commandment given to all Christians everywhere. So for us, we especially, who have it really easy compared to other places in the world, need to consider this and be faithful to it. It is easy to pray for those who are here in the U.S. who are persecuting us. Pray for them. They need it because they, just like you, are lost in their sin. They, just like you, had scales over their eyes. And the only reason you were saved is because God had mercy on you. So have grace toward them and pray that they would be accepting of that same faith that you had yourself. Number six, seek reconciliation with them. Coming back to our Romans passage, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And then finally, seven, be always willing to come to their relief. Exodus 23, four, if, you're, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. Right, so this is someone at work who nobody likes, who spreads terrible rumors, who you know, is just the kind of person that nobody wants to be around, says, hey guys, help me move this weekend, right? No one wants to help people move, right? Like it's hard enough to help your friends move. Someone that you really don't like needs help. What if you're the one guy that shows up, right? They know they treat you bad at work. They know they spread terrible things about you. And then you're the guy that shows up and helps them move their fridge down the staircase to get into the moving trucks so they can get to their new home. That is a show of love. That is a show of understanding that because I was forgiven, I can forgive them for the things that they have done. So 
are seven points. One, resist thoughts of revenge. Two, do not seek to do them mischief. Three, wish them well. Four, grieve at their calamities. Five, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and be always willing to come to their relief. So on the back, uh, I've just printed up some little cutouts real quick that have a list of those with the associated verse that supports that point. Take one of those, stick it in your Bible. If you're having a rough day, you know, whoever it's with, pull that out and think through all seven of these points. If, your heart, if you find your heart is not right in regards to one of these seven of these points, pray through it. Think through it. Put yourself in the right mind. Consider first how you were forgiven, and then having thought through these, extend that same forgiveness to them. And that will help you maintain that horizontal forgiveness that is a commandment of us. So we talked through what forgiveness is. We talked through the different types, vertical, horizontal. We teased out that forgiveness versus reconciliation a little bit. And then we talked about the practicalities of how we actually leave it out. So let me end by giving you a little bit of encouragement. There's a great quote from our friend C.S. Lewis who talks about how it's beautiful but hard. He says, this is hard, talking about forgiveness. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, right? That seven times coming back and asking for forgiveness. To keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say in our prayers each night, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions, and God means what he says. It's a really great way to encapsulate what we've been talking about, that we need to meditate constantly on the forgiveness that we have ourselves as Christians and use that as our motivation to extend forgiveness then to others. So knowing that, I want to finish out that story that we started about Corrie ten Boom and being confronted by the man who was the jailer in the place where she stayed and where her sister died. She says, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If we do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. Still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. That's really important to remember. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Then you can supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this heated warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For long moments, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. We can extend that horizontal forgiveness even if we don't feel like it, because God has given us that vertical forgiveness first. So here's a quick little set of things for us to think about to help us consider, if we're having a tough time forgiving others, consider ourselves first, what's going on in our lives. Did your husband forget to do the dishes and are you still angry the next morning? You might have trouble. You might be, need to pray through in your own heart that holding on to anger and need to find forgiveness. Did your wife forget to buy toilet paper and did you grumble when you had to go out at night to go buy a roll from the store? Probably not having a heart of forgiveness. Did your children leave their toys out again and did you snap at them for being inconsiderate? You need to have a heart of forgiveness. Did your dad or mom ask you to do a chore and did you whine and complain and drag your feet? That's for our kids. Unfortunately, they're elsewhere, but we'll get them. Did you steal a second glance at a beautiful woman walking by you on the street if you're a man? Invert that for women. Is there some guy walking by and you stole a second glance at him? Right? These are small little ways in which we stumble and which we need to find forgiveness. Some of them involve others. Some of them are internal and personal to us. But always we have sinned against God and we need to remember that. Luke 10.20 Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subjected to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So in closing out, if we need motivation 
in order to extend this forgiveness to others that we desire for ourselves and desire from God. And so in order to do that, we need to consider the single greatest example of forgiveness that is in the world, which is obviously that, that God has extended to us through his son, Jesus. So running through Romans Road, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you confess with your mouth that the Lord Je- in the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Brothers and sisters, if you have been forgiven by God, meditate on that. And through that meditation, you will then be able to extend forgiveness to those others. You will be able to fulfill the commandment that God has given you, that we forgive others for the trespasses that they do against us. If you haven't yet received that grace in your life, if you haven't yet put yourself under the mercy of God, you're not going to be able to do it. You're going to try, and there may be times where for the small stuff you can make it work for a time, but after a while, your heart is going to grow hard. You are not going to be able to do it because you don't have the foundation of God's love first. You don't have a greater example to rely upon that gives you the motivation to extend out to others. If you don't know him, seek him out. If you do, meditate upon it. Go ahead and bow your heads with me as I close this out. Heavenly Father, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your love and mercy so clearly poured out for us as a propitiation for our sin. You are holy, you are beautiful, and we love you. Lord, help us to think deeply on forgiveness to give those around us grace in equal measure to what has been granted to us. Let us rely on your power in doing this, not our own, for our own weaknesses are not sufficient for this task. For any here this morning who do not already know your grace, may you break them, Lord. Melt their hearts of stone and remove the scales from their eyes and let them come into the peace and assurance of salvation through the saving blood of your son, Jesus. Give us grace as we go out today, Lord, and give us strength for this week. We pray this all in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.